Appreciate you coming out. If you're visiting with us today, my name is Mark, and I am uh, the uh, senior pastor here. I've been so for 13 plus uh, years, and uh, we're in a sermon series that we started last week that talk about talks about determining uh, your future. And um, our future is determined largely by the choices that we make. Now, we we don't control everything that happens in our future, and you know that, but everything that does happen to us in our future, uh, we have a choice on how we're going to respond uh, to that. And there will be unexpected things that happen to you in 2024 and all the years beyond, but you are in control of the choice that you make on how you choose to respond to that. So it's very appropriate to be able to say that we largely determine the type of future that we're going to have by the, by the choices that we make. And the obvious example of that is, is financial. And uh, as you uh, start putting away money now for retirement 20 and 25 years later, you will largely determine at least the type of financial security uh, that you will have uh, in retirement. And, and, and the choices that you make now will uh, determine that. Uh, we're only, uh, soon and I are only a year and a half away, and so um, the choices that we make now are not too much determining that. It's been the choices that we've made beforehand that will determine that type of, at least financial retirement that we have. Uh, someone says that tomorrow depends on your choices today, and that's what I'm talking about. Tomorrow depends on your choices today, and all of us can uh, look back and think about poor choices that we made that did not make the tomorrows of our future quite as good as they should have been, and we can all think of choices that we made that helped all the tomorrows of our future. So that's, that's kind of what we're talking about. And the Bible backs this up in a, a lot of different places. And as I was reading somewhere this week, someone said that tomorrow starts today. Tomorrow starts today. And it absolutely uh, does. I'm, when I do marriage counseling, I have very little patience to talk about things that are in the past. And I know things that have happened in the past many times uh, can in, impact the future, and I get that, but it's in the past, and there's really nothing that we can do with it. Your uh, tomorrow in your marriage starts today, and how we're going to deal uh, with that, and how we would deal with the past. But lingering and talking for weeks and weeks about things that have happened in the past, I'll be quite honest with you, and I don't mean this bad, but I'll just be honest with you, it, it bores me, because I, I, I don't see how we're really getting anywhere. Um, yes, things may need to be apologized for and, and uh, things may need to be reconciled of things that have happened in the past, but how is it that we deal today with all the todays that are ahead of us? We're using the book of uh, Hebrews in our series here, at least for one of the anchor passages. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, the Bible says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And that's the verse that we just focused on last week. And we really didn't go too much farther in Hebrews other than that verse. We said Moses, when he had grown up, and many times it takes some growing up for all of us to be able to not to be defined by other people. And that's what we said is a choice that will greatly affect your future is that you choose not to let other people define you. Now, I had an eighth grader <clears throat> last week, 
I sat him down after the service and I said, well, what did you get out of the service today? And he goes, um, what do you mean by define? And I thought, well, my goodness, I just totally missed him. That's why preaching and communicating many times is hard because we assume that we're all working on the same type of vocabulary, but many times we don't. What do I mean by define? I'm, you're not letting other people tell you who you are. You're not letting other people determine your actions. You're not letting other people determine your self-esteem. You're not letting other people define you. And all of us that are a little bit older can remember that was a big struggle for us when we were younger. I told you the first beer I ever drank was because Chuck Mattingly and Philip Hampton dared me to. I didn't want to drink it. And when I did, I thought it was about the nastiest tasting thing I've ever, but I wouldn't tell them that it was. Been there, done that? We all struggle in our life, at various times in our life, with allowing other people to define us. And the Christian life is about letting God define you. That first and foremost, I'm a Christian, I'm adopted son of God, I'm adopted child of God. That's who I am first and foremost. There's other things in my life that define me as well. I, I received some definition in my life by the fact that I'm a husband and a, that I'm a father, by the uh, fact that I, I guess I was a son. Both parents have now died, and so I guess I'm no longer uh, a, a son, but I still received some self-esteem knowing that I was the son of Clarence and Ann Atherton. And I am a brother, and I'm a pastor. There's lots of areas that define us. But what's the overarching umbrella on all of that? All of that? And if for a Christian, my self-esteem has to come from the fact that I'm an adopted child of God and all that that means. That's my identity. And we said we hear so much about the words identify. How do you identify? And, and you know, people talk about, well, I identify as this and I identify as that. Well, I identify as an adopted child of the living God. First and foremost... Uh, I, and I told you, I think I told you last week that as I was going through some of uh, one of mom's Bibles and things that she wrote in her Bibles and things that she was thankful for. And the number two thing that she was thankful for was a husband who loved God more than he loved her. That has to be the defining thing in a marriage. For your marriage to get through thick and thin and ups and downs and over and unders, I, I'm first in relationship with God before I'm in relationship with Sue. And because I'm first in relationship with God, then if that's actually true and not just some Christian verbiage that I'm spouting off, if that's actually true, then though Sue and I will go through some troubles and we'll have some potholes in our life, it'll never come to uh, a marriage ending type of thing if truly both of our identities is found in the living God. Any type of marriage trouble starts with forgetting that for, for church-going Christian people. So we said last week that an important choice for our future is not to allow other people to define you. We move one verse further in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25 and, and 26. is still talking about Moses. And the Bible says, he, that would be Moses, chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of, of sin. As I was talking to another pastor 
this week had lunch with uh, David Crawford, who's a retired pastor in our district. We had lunch in Franklin to talk about another issue, and we got talking about preaching, and he, and he said something that's absolutely right. He said there's a few words you can never use now as preachers. And one of those phrases you can never use as preachers now is, well, you remember the story because we don't have a biblical culture anymore. And I don't want to assume that you can remember that story about Moses who was loved by his parents and who was kind of in a, in a weird way kind of put up for adoption and kind of floated in the, in, in, in the river where uh, Pharaoh's daughters were uh, taking a bath and they grabbed him and adopted him and put him into the Pharaoh's house. So this little Jewish boy, this little Hebrew boy was raised in the Pharaoh's palace. And uh, when he had grown up, he decided not to be defined by that. And he decided to identify with his Hebrew people. And that's what it's talking about here. He said he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. People of God were in Egyptian slavery at that time. So he forsake Egyptian royalty and accepted Egyptian slavery. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And then verse 26 says, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. What's well, a choice that, that Moses made and a choice that we all can make that greatly determines the futures that we have Um, he chose short-term pain for long-term gain now go back two slides and let's read those verses again please Hebrews 11 24 and 25 go back one more slide 25 if you would please he chose to be mistreated Short-term pain. Along with the people of God, rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He, he chose short-term pain so he would have long-term gain. And the long-term gain shows up in verse 26, where, where he says, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was a looking ahead to his reward. Now you've all heard that expression and you've heard secular speakers talk to you about the importance of dealing with with short-term pain so you can have long-term gain. But forever in the Bible, in many, many places in the Bible, that's a biblical concept. That's a biblical concept. Choosing. Choosing. Short-term pain. He chose to be mistreated. Because he was a looking ahead to his reward. I will greatly, you will greatly determine all of the tomorrows of the rest of your life by choosing short-term pain. Now we could talk about this for a lot, in a lot of different areas. A lot of different areas. But as we'll talk about today, faith is about short-term pain many times for long-term gain 
I found this little video that I think all of you will identify in a, in a, in a funny way. It talks about the difficulties of delaying gratification. And if you're ever going to grow up as a human being or grow up as a Christian, you have to un- understand the concept of delaying gratification. Can we play that uh, marshmallow video? Here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? All right. So I'm going to leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. (laughs) How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. Uh, I can see I can see your kids in that Silas and Jack. I can see them there. <laughs> um, you know why I'm pa- I'm 25 pounds overweight. I don't want to delay the gratification of that hostess crumb cake. (laughs) I'm not 25 pounds overweight because it's in my genes or or my DNA. Uh, Basically, um, I want to eat. Faith is all about the Christian life is all about faith, and faith is all about delayed gratification. And if you have to have it all now in your life, you're probably not uh, eligible for the Christian life, or at least will be very happy with a Christian life, because faith, a lot of faith is about delayed gratification. It's not having it now. It's, it's, it's waiting. It's waiting on God. It's waiting on the, on the Lord. It's having faith that he will act even though he's not acting now. It's faith that he will do what he says he will do even though he hasn't done it now. And faith is about delayed gratification and a choice that we can be able to make 
that will help all the tomorrows that we will have is is many times to be able to delay gratification, to to resist the, the temptation of of instant gratification. And scripture talks about over and over and over and over again. This is this is not just a secular concept that 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 you that you've heard that you know that to exchange short term pain for long term gain it is but it, it's it's got biblical precedent in that second corinthians chapter 4 verses 17 and 18 says for our light and momentary troubles the bible says the things that i'm going through and the things that you're going through are light and momentary now all of us have gone through some pretty serious things But from the perspective of eternity, they're light and they're momentary. Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of those troubles, that far outweighs them all. The troubles that you're having with your marriage and the troubles that you're having with your kids and the trouble that you're having with, with uh, money and the trouble that you're having with your in-laws and the trouble that you're having with your career and with your job and whatever stuff that's going on in your life in this world, you will have trouble. Paul says it's light and it's momentary. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is happening. So we don't focus on what's happening. All the troubles, those light and momentary troubles. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is happening, what is seen is temporal. It's temporary. But what we don't see and only see through the eyes of faith is eternal, is eternal. That's all about delayed gratification. Your faith in God through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is all about delayed gratification. It's all about waiting on God. It's all about uh, waiting for God to act, waiting for his timing to get through these light and momentary troubles. Hebrews chapter 11, almost to the end of the the chapter that I've been quoting. And it was talking about all these people that acted by faith. And it says, all of these people, all were commended for their faith, yet not one of them received what had been promised. So all of these Old Testament saints that is listed in, in the Hall of Fame of Faith of Hebrews chapter 11, and we preached through that about a year and a half ago, they all were commended and complimented, patted on the back for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. All those people died in faith. Faith is about delayed gratification. Part and parcel, it's all wrapped up being about delayed gratification. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope which we, that we profess for he who has promised. Now, why do we have to be encouraged and exhorted in Scripture by the Hebrew writer to hold unswervingly? Because something hasn't happened yet. 
Why do we have to tell people to hold on because something hasn't happened yet? Why do we have to tell people to not give up because something hasn't happened yet? The Hebrew writer says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who has promised is faithful, is faithful. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 2 and 3 says we fix our eyes on Jesus. Depending on your translation, I, I was getting ready to quote what is probably the King James or the new King James, the author and perfecter the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand, the throne of God. For the joy set before him, what was that joy that was set before him is what the cross would accomplish. Because of that joy, he endured those troubles of the cross. Could anyone have endured more trouble He endured that cross. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And and losing heart, what is is the writer talking about here to lose heart? To give up, to junk the faith, to say it hasn't happened yet. I'm not seeing all the stuff that, that I'm supposed to see yet. Faith is about delayed gratification. And we must, as Christians, in, endure short-term pain. And however you want to define pain, however you want to define that. Maybe it's real pain, or maybe it's just troubles, or maybe it's just not seeing what God has promised yet. That we exchange that short-term pain, and we exchange that for long-term gain. And To help us do that, the Hebrew writer says, consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners. And if you will consider him, you will not grow weary. You will not grow weary and lose heart. You will not grow weary and junket and go for that instant gratification. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. (laughs) You know this passage. Where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up yourself treasures in heaven. That's about delayed gratification. Do not not lay up everything for this earth. But but store up treasures for yourself in, in heaven. How do you do that, Mark? You know, every time that I forgive someone and deny that gratification of getting back at that person, because that can be very gratifying, can it? Let's just be honest. For at least for a moment, that will feel good. When I Forgive someone, I'm laying up treasures in heaven. When I don't act out of my own flesh, when I keep my mouth closed, when I walk away from the situation, I'm laying up treasures in heaven. Because how many times do we step away from the Spirit of God and we act in a way to get instant gratification? I've done it. 
You've done it. Instead of storing up treasures in heaven. Faith is all about delayed gratification. And, and, and the choice that we make to be able to, to choose short-term pain for long-term gain is, is about delayed gratification. Faith is, is all about God's will, and God's way, and God's timing, isn't it? Isn't that what faith is about? It's about what God wants and how God wants it and in his timing. And, and let's, just, let's just admit it, Christian friends, that's not easy for us because we're on a timetable, aren't we? And when I'm on a timetable, I want to get that gratification when I want to get it. But faith is about God's will. It's about God's way. And it's about God's timing. Abraham was promised that he'd have a child in his own age. And if you know that story, you know that he took matters in his own hands, didn't he? He had relations with a slave girl and kind of figured out, well, I guess this is is what God means by this. And this is how God's going to do this. So he, he didn't wait for God's timing that that child would come through Sarah. He did what a lot of us would do. That's what I like about the Bible. The characters are so human. The characters are so us. They're so us. One, one great evidence of the inspiration of God's word in this book was inspired by God, is this book does not make humans look great. It makes humans look very ordinary. Just like us. Just like us. Faith is about delayed gratification. Faith is about God's will. God's way. And God's timing. And that's a mouthful right there. It's an unbelievable mouthful. Because especially us guys, we take control of situations. Especially us guys, we take control of it and want to make it work. And faith, faith is holding unswervingly to the hope that we forget, that we profess, that God will act in his will, in his way, and in his timing, which almost never is my timing. It's faith. And as I wait for God, what's the little chorus we used to sing? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. Waiting. And what are we waiting for? God's will, God's way, God's timing. So many passages of Scripture talk about waiting on God. It's an exhibition of faith. It's proof of your faith. It's proof of my faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 
says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produced a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. No, no one likes to have the discipline of waiting for God's will, God's way, God's timing. That takes discipline, and none of us like that word discipline. And when you preach on discipline, you don't get very many amens because none of us like that. And we all have pockets of a lack of discipline. That's why a, a, a fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. No discipline seems patient at, pleasant at the time, but painful but later on (laughs) later on well when mark i have no clue later on well we'll be in this earth i don't know the 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 people in hebrews 11 were commended for the faith but they did not receive on this earth what god had promised Do do you do you know what this means that none of us can absolutely comprehend this we have no clue how glorious heaven will be. No matter what word pictures are given to us in the Bible and no matter what, how many songs have been written and no matter how human beings try to describe the glories of heaven, we have no clue. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse, verse 8 and 9. Paul says, I, I don't want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the providence of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So much trouble that Paul says, I even wanted to die. He even despaired of life itself. And in verse 9 it says, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. <laughs> Paul doesn't paint this picture that we're going to have all things right now. Paul doesn't paint this picture that our life is going to be one glorious a roller coaster ride into heaven. Paul doesn't paint any kind of picture like that and any kind of preacher or TV preacher that, that says we can have our best life now does not understand the Bible. Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, on how much trouble we had. And it was so bad that I didn't think I could go on. And I even despaired of life. But this happened that I might learn to trust and that I might learn to rely not on myself but on God. That's faith. Faith is about delayed gratification. Faith is about God's will, God's way, God's timing. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5 verses 3 and 4. Paul writes, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character produces hope. 
Paul says, when I'm going through a tough time, if I'm thinking right, if, if I've got a biblical worldview, if, 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 if I'm walking in the spirit, I will understand that these sufferings that I'm dealing with right now, however you define sufferings, however you define light and momentary troubles, however you define the difficulties of this life, Paul says, they will produce in me. These sufferings produce perseverance and these perseverance will produce character. Anyone that's got any kind of a athletic background understands this. How many of us who, who have coached have, have, have tried to get our kids to exchange short-term pain for the long-term gain? I know you're tired of running these. Su- to tell you something I found out the other day, you can't call them suicides anymore. They're ladders. If you don't know what that is, you're, you're better off, I guess, because you're not supposed to call them suicides. But how many times as a basketball coach have we said, as the kids are just dying as we're running these suicides, hey, you're winning games in the fourth quarter right now. You're doing this so you, you, you've got wind in the fourth quarter and there's no other way to do it than this right now. And the difference between the athletes that make it and the athletes that, that don't are the ones that endure that short-term pain. They will never be able to have lots of energy in the fourth quarter unless they run those suicides or do whatever they can. And the same is, 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 is true in, in academic endeavors. I mean, if you're going to be a lawyer, if you're going to be a doctor, how much... How much schooling do you have to put up with before you get all of the rewards of that? How many many late nights and 24-hour shifts do doctors have to put up with and one-hour naps and 30-minute naps and as they're interns and and, and, and even if you're not going to be a doctor, if you're just going to be whatever you want to be, just just the endurance of, of all of these little bitty philosophy classes that are just a general elective or a earth science class that's just a general elective to get you to what you want to do but this is part and parcel the powers that be have decided that earth science is part and parcel to what you want to do and so you've got to put up with short-term pain for the long-term gain it happens everywhere in life it just, it just, it just happens everywhere in life. The, the, I, I don't remember the guy's name, former head coach of Washington that was just named head coach of Alabama. Did you look at his coaching resume? He started out with piddly little schools. 20 years ago, he was a high school assistant coach. And then he was an NIA coach. And he just, and he didn't, and he was an NIA coach at little schools and there's not enough money and there's no money to go around. And, and he, he put in the time, he put in the effort and with things happened, yes, to fall in place for him and now he's the head coach of Alabama. This is, a, this is a teaching for all of us. This is a teaching for unbelievers. This is a teaching for atheists. But it happens to be a biblical teaching. That faith is about delayed gratification. That faith is about God's will, God's way, and God's timing. 
verse I read earlier to you from Hebrews, verse 25, chapter 11, talking of Moses, chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Can I say something? Sin can be pleasurable, right? The Bible admits that. If sin wasn't pleasurable, why would it be tempting? <laughs> of course it's pleasurable. Things that aren't tempting to us are not things that we're attracted to. The writer calls them the fleeting, calls them pleasures of sin, but the fleeting pleasures of sin. And we can choose to have the pleasures of sin now with instant gratification, or we can choose to delay that gratification and be a man or woman of God and choose to be people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Let's, let's, let's be honest with our kids, our grandkids. <laughs> they know sin is pleasurable. We, we don't have to. We, let's just be honest with, it, with them about it. Yeah, there's pleasure in sin. It's fleeting. Consequences will not be good down the road. If you choose the fleeting pleasures of sin, can I think this, say this right, because I just thought of it and hadn't planned it out. If you choose the fleeting pleasures of sin, you're choosing short-term gain and exchanging that for long-term pain. Right? Did you get me? If you choose the fleeting pleasures of sin, you're reversing it. And you're choosing short-term gain. Why won't I lose this weight? Because I choose short-term gain by eating those hostess crumb cakes. Well, when I choose the fleeting pleasures of sin, I choose short-term gain and exchange that. Short-term pain. No, I'm saying it all wrong again. I choose short-term gain, and what I get for it is long-term pain. That's right. Write that down if you're going to write anything down. <laughs> Verse 26 says that Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead. He was not living for the temporal. He was looking ahead. He was not storing up treasures on earth, but storing up treasures in heaven. But the world tells you just the opposite. Hey, man, you only live once. Let's go for the gusto. You know, you know the truth of the matter is? You live twice. Don't you? You live twice. And if you choose to go for the gusto, you would have ch chosen long-term, short-term gain and exchange it for long-term pain instead of the other way around. The world tells you that. 
you hear this expression that says, live for the moment. Well, living in the moment is really good, but there's a difference between living in the moment and for the moment. Yeah, I want to live in the moment, and I want, to, I want to be here in this moment, and I want to be fully here in this moment to, to be able to, to reap the things that this moment may give me, but I don't live for the moment. There's a, it's a big difference. It's a big difference. I, li- I want to be in the moment, but I don't live for the moment. And I don't, I choose not to put other preachers down, but the largest church in the country writes a book and says, you can have your best life now. And there's 25,000 people in Houston today listening to him. I don't, I don't see where it says it. Now, that doesn't mean that we go through the Christian life and we're just barely hanging out. That's not what we're talking about. Not what we're talking about. I'm just hanging on to Jesus coming. That's not what we're talking about. But if best life now means choosing the fleeting pleasures of sin, then we have our priorities reversed as Christians. I can remember being a young kid, and I'm, I'm dating myself here. There's very few people in this room that will identify with me on this, but we used to get dressed to church, and we watched the Gospel Jubilee. We have all these Southern Gospel groups. Mom and Dad would have TV on. We'd hear all Estel Goodman and her big beehive, and some of you don't know what a beehive is. It's good that you don't know. Believe, believe me, believe me. It's good that you don't know. And I can remember Vestal Goodman saying she's looking for a city. And they, that song would, they take it up a, a notch and go through their course. Looking for a city. Do you know that's scriptural? You know that Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10, speaking of Abraham, said, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. That's faith. And verse 9 says, By faith. By faith. Verse 9. Next slide, please. By faith. He made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were were heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10 says this, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So when you hear a gospel group say, looking for a city, they're singing Hebrews chapter 11 to you. And if we're going to arrive in that city one day, we'll only arrive by faith. And faith is about delayed gratification. Faith is about exchanging short-term pain for long-term gain. Faith is about God's will, his way, and his timing. 
if we're going to receive that reward, if we're going to arrive in that city whose foundations and architect is God, that is a faith endeavor. And the foundation of that faith is Jesus when he endured the cross. Scorning its shame, the Bible says. Scorning its shame because he knew what was on the other side of that cross. He took the long view. How many of us, me included, take the short view? Instant gratification, live in a microwave society. We want it now. But biblically, faith is about taking the long view. The long view. You will drastically help your future. You will make good choices for your future if you choose to accept short-term pain and be able to exchange that for the long-term gain. I wish I could promise you that that long-term gain, you would see it in this day and time in which we live. Before you would die, you would see that. Some people do and other people's don't. Hebrews 11, they died in faith, not receiving what God has promised. (laughs) But there's a reward for those who live their life looking for the city. And that starts, that starts with accepting all sufficient merit of Jesus Christ on the cross. The song that we started with, that they sang, and you're going to be singing the next couple of weeks, that it was all sufficient merit. It was not my own. Faith in that merit of Christ on the cross that was sufficient for me. Our servers are coming to the table. Father, um, This is a really important message for us as Christians to understand that while you've promised blessings for us, we won't have our best life now. Our best life is waiting for us. And while you do promise to walk with us and you do give us blessings and we do sense some of the good things of this life, it's not anything could be compared to the reward that is waiting for us if we don't store up treasures here and store up treasures there. Help us to look for that city and help us to do it not in a way that we're so heavenly minded we're no earthly good but just in the choices that we make daily. And the choices that we we make through January and February and the rest of this year and, and all the months that we have to come and that the choices that we make show that we're looking for that city. Our choices reflect that we're not storing up treasures here. Our choices reflect that we're delaying gratification. Our choices reflect that we want your will and your way and your timing. And, and Father, that is so easy for me to preach. 
and so hard for me to live. I will not be able to live it without the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. And you've promised that the fruit of your Holy Spirit will be love, joy, peace, patience, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And Father, as with all things, we know that this starts at the cross. And we thank you for enduring it. You endured it so that we would have a place with you. Help us to endure nothing like the cross, but help us to endure those light and momentary troubles as we live a life of faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.